Last week, uh, Derek began a series, uh, Faith at Work, and before I speak this morning, I just want to invite Richard to come to the front. Uh, those of you who don't know, this is Richard Aitken. Is it related to you, Andrew? Richard related to you? Somewhere. <laughs> so, so we've got two Aitkens uh, families. So this is Rachel. Rachel. Uh, must not take whiskey before uh, speaking. Um, Richard. Thank you. <laughs> Rachel. So, um, and uh, yeah, Richard uh, and his family have um, come to us over the last year or so, so it's been great to have you here. So Richard, tell us um, what you do now and what you did for your current job. Currently, I am the general manager of Kindergarten South, which is a role that sees me looking after 23 kindergartens between Tiana, Bluff and Gore, with 14 here in Invercargill. Prior to that, I was the vicar of St. John's, just over the back, for seven years. Great. So how, Richard, have you found the transition from uh, being in, in ministry uh, to uh, now your current role as um, kindergarten CEO? Uh, it's been, in a way, it's been a little bit relaxing because you've gone off call 24-7. <laughs> you only have to work nine till five. It's quite good. <laughs> but um, for me, it was a, a big mental shift from fully investing myself in a very obvious and outward faith every day, all day, into a secular environment where your faith becomes the way you live rather than who you are and how you're identified. Okay. What, what have been some of the more difficult parts of that transition, just at a sort of practical level? Uh, I think the biggest, the biggest thing is when you get an issue arise, most of what I do tends to be around human relations and uh, employment. And when you get issues that come up between people, uh, working to, to do that and hold that tension between what needs to be done under law and what needs to be done in light of how I work as a Christian mm -hmm. and the understandings I bring to that is probably the biggest difficulty. Okay. So, um, I mean, what, what does your actual job entail? Um, on a day-to-day on a -day basis? Um, yeah. Um, it can be anything. It, it changes. I have a plan at the start of each day, and very seldom my day ever looks like that plan. Um, when you've got 900 children floating around across 23 kindergartens, there's all sorts of things that can come up. Mm -hmm. uh, it could be something that was unexpected, like a child comes in and says something to a kindergarten staff member and they ring me and say, what do we do now? It could be that there is an issue with health and safety, a broken gate, a child that got out of a gate that wasn't closed properly, all that sort of thing that then needs investigating. It could be an audit where I'm finding myself out in the kindergartens, going around making sure that the regulations are in place. Or it could be conversations with parents who have found something that they're worried about or concerned about. Or it could be job interviews, seeking to fill places. Okay. So how are you working to make your new work ministry? I think in the, for, for me personally, it's about how I carry myself in that new role. Um, I'm very confident in my faith and my background, and it's a case of how do I live that out when I deal with all these different people who may or may not believe what I believe and have a relationship with God that I have. And I think one of, the, one of the most challenging times is when things get tough and you find yourself in a really difficult conversation. Um, my, my approach has been to take a few minutes before I have those difficult conversations and just 
have some quiet time in my office with God and just hand the issue over and say, I'm not going into this with any preconceptions. I'm going into this and allowing you to guide my words and to guide my answers and to give me the space to listen. Because as with anything, the situation isn't always what's out there. Um, a lot of times people come into situations, difficult conversations, etc., with a backstory that they don't even realize is part of the issue. Mm. And I've found giving God space to let me sit quietly and let them come to that realization has, has been really beneficial. Mm. Hey, great. It's great to have you and Talita as part of our church family here. So thank you for sharing. Thank you. And uh, your role. So if you don't know Richard and Talita, come and uh, say hi to them and uh, get to know them a little bit better. Thank you, Richard. We, we all know what a myth is. Um, a myth is something that's commonly believed to be true, but it's not. <clears throat> and sometimes myths sort of get their way into the public perception or consciousness, and they're very stubborn uh, at being removed. So uh, let me give you some very common myths. Now, you must not get upset if um, you actually believe these to be true, and I tell you they're a myth, all right? So... Um, myth number one uh, is that if you drop a coin from a very high building, uh, you can kill someone. Uh, now, um, Mythbusters um, have tested this out, and they figured out how fast the coin uh, will fall, and uh, then they created a gun that would shoot the coin at that speed, and they discovered that it sort of hurt, but didn't really kill anyone. So that's a myth, all right? You cannot make a coin go fast enough to kill someone by dropping it from a high tap. Okay, myth number one. Uh, myth number two, now many of you will think that this uh, is not a myth, but sugar makes kids hyper. <laughs> yes, all the parents say, it's true, it's true. Okay, lots of parents would say this, however, they have tested this, it's not true. What they discovered is that um, is it actually changes the parent's perception uh, rather than the children's behaviour. So if the parents see that the kids have had lots of sugar, they uh, think they will be hyper. Um, and uh, they did this test with a double blind where they gave these kids what they said was sugar, but what actually wasn't was a placebo, and the parents all said, oh, the kids are really hyper when they hadn't had sugar at all. Now, there's lots of reasons not to feed your kids sugar, but it's a myth that it makes them hyper. There we are. Myth number three, I actually believe the sugar one. Um, I thought that was true. Uh, myth number three is that water goes down the plug hole in a different direction uh, depending on which hemisphere you're in. Who thought that was true? Yep, well, it's not true, okay? It all depends on the shape of the plug and, um, and how the water is introduced to the hole in the first place. Um, it, it can go either way, counterclockwise or clockwise, um, in either hemisphere. Uh, it's based on a, a thing called the Corellius force, but the Corellius force has no impact on a small body of water, so it's, just, it's not true. Myth number four, three wise men uh, visited Jesus at the stables. Not true. Not true. You need to get rid of all your nativity scenes with the wise men. All right? Before Christmas, you need all your cards. You need to scribble out. It's not true. A, we don't know how many wise men there were. And secondly, they did not visit Jesus at the stables. All right? So check out the wise men out of your nativity scene. All right? Check them out. They visited Jesus at a house, it says, quite clearly, a couple years later. That's why Herod killed all the babies under two because he knew that uh, it was a couple of years earlier, uh, so not true. Uh, 
Myth number five, which I thought was true also, uh, that fish have, um, have a three-second memory. Okay? All right? Fish only remember things for three seconds. Uh, well, it seems like goldfish have got a bad rap, and this is probably not true. They, they did this test where they invented this big sort of aquarium thing with lots of sort of pathways, and they put a fish in it, and they fed it in the same place each time. And uh, then they left the fish to its own devices, and then two weeks later, they reintroduced the fish to the aquarium, and it went back exactly, 12 days, sorry, to be exact, exactly to the spot where it had been fed. They could remember where it had been fed 12 days earlier. So maybe goldfish can remember more than we realize. All right, enough of that. So if I've upset you, then I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> uh, myths. I want to talk, though, about myths around work and faith at work as we begin this, uh, or we carry on the series that Derek began last week. And, you know, the myths, just like these myths that are commonly held and, and they're stubborn, they're hard to get rid of, so there's some myths around Christianity and work that are hard to get rid of. And myth number one is that my spiritual life and my work have little connection. Spiritual stuff is prayer and Bible reading and worship and going to church and that spiritual stuff and work stuff is, well, work stuff is work stuff. Uh, the truth is that work is spiritual because we're designed by God to work and God himself works. That's what Derek talked about last week, that God describes himself as a worker. Uh, many of the phrases used to describe God, he is a worker and he's designed us to work. So it's impossible to divorce God and work. The only way we can do that is to ignore God altogether, and when we take God out of work, it either becomes meaningless and soul-destroying, or it becomes all-consuming. And we see that in life today. Paul wrote these words, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as your reward. It is the Lord Christ that you are serving. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. All that we do, we can do for God. By how we work, we are part of God's plan to transform this world, to reverse the effects of the fall, to reflect His character in what we do. The, the amazing fact is that we actually call to work alongside God, it's an incredible thought. Richard Foster, who's a well-known uh, Christian author, tells about a, a summer that he spent uh, with the Inuit, with the Eskimo uh, people, right in the top of the Arctic Circle. And they were building a school. It was the first school built above the Arctic Circle. And he went because he was a teenager and he thought this would be a great adventure. And it turned out to be just really hard work, um, back-breaking work. And one day he was digging this ditch, uh, a drainage, a sewerage ditch. And, you know, because the ground was frozen, it was simply really back-breaking work. And an Inuit man came along and uh, watched him for a while. And as he watched and stood there for a while, he simply spoke these words. He said, you are digging a ditch to the glory of God. And th these words stuck with Richard in his mind. Uh, it changes attitude to digging this ditch because you dig a ditch for a sewage channel, no one sees it. <laughs> right, the ditch gets covered over 
and, and everyone forgets about the ditch. No one would see the work at all, but it changed his attitude to it. He said he dug with all his might because every spade was a prayer to God. He made a discovery that whatever he did, whether it was a great thing, a small thing, something that we noticed, something that wasn't noticed, it could be for the glory of God. Myth number two, what happens on Sunday is more important than what happens on Monday. Now, ministers, that's people like myself, reinforce this myth. Right. We buy into this myth, okay? So your Christian commitment is, is proven by how many meetings you turn up to. We keep a black book and we record. No, we don't. Um, but we judge people's Christian commitment by whether they turn up on Sunday. Sunday is the most important. I heard once about this executive, the CEO, executive, who ran a large company, all right, hundreds of employees. Uh, one day he signed up for children's ministry at his church he went to. And he said, no one took any notice of me uh, when I was a CEO, but as soon as I signed up for children's ministry, he said I was hauled up the front and they prayed for me and um, recognized me. And he said, the message I got was, what you do on Sunday is what really counts. Imagine the impact if he was to run his company with hundreds of employees, huge amount of influence, if he ran it on biblical Principles. The truth is, what happens on Monday is more important than what happens on Sunday. Let me say that again. What happens on Monday is more important than what happens on Sunday. You know, the Bible talks about, from a kingdom point of view, uh, it talks about the kingdom all the time. Hundreds of references, Jesus talks about the kingdom. That's what Jesus talked about. By the kingdom, he meant extending his rule, his influence over the world. If you, if you understand that, that that's what's important to Jesus is the kingdom, then obviously Monday is going to have far more impact on the kingdom than Sunday. Because on Sunday, we're mainly in contact with Christians. You see, the role of Sunday is to equip us to be light in a dark world, to encourage us, to inspire us, to build us up, so we can go out on Monday into our workplaces and homes and schools to bring the kingdom about, to bring the light of God into the darkness, to bring something of the presence of God into our workplace. If we see work as only a place to go to witness, uh, and work is simply sort of filling up time between Monday and Saturday, then... We're not going to get it. People are leaving the church because they're disenchanted because there seems a disconnect between Sunday and Monday. You know, we can sing about revival, we can sing about, we can pray our hearts out, but actually what happens on Monday is crucial. The average Christian, they reckon, I've got this stat, I needed to think about this, spends only 2% of their time, their lifetime in church. That still seems quite high to me. Uh, anyway, 2%, supposedly, of uh, your waking time will be spent in church for the average Christian. You know, the work of God is far wider than just seeing the church grow. God wants to extend His influence over the city of Invercargill. And we do that as we love people, as we seek justice, as we care for creation, as we look after the poor, the vulnerable, as we seek justice, as we produce goods and services that are of value to people, then the kingdom is extended. Myth number three is that some very special people are called by God. 
Okay, if you're around Christian circles, you know, you know, I'm called by God. I'm called by God to go to Mongolia. Uh, it sounds very spiritual, you know. Um, this sort of idea that God speaks this voice and mystical things happen and we have this calling. Sometimes people come to me and they say, I feel called to ministry. And I say to them, okay, so what are you doing in your local church at the moment? I'm not doing anything. What are you doing in terms of ministry anywhere else? I'm not really doing anything. So, so why do you think you're called to ministry? Oh, but I'm called. Well, I don't see any evidence. You know, so sometimes, uh, it's interesting, teachers and doctors and people in helping professions often might use the word call as well. I feel called to be a teacher or whatever. Very rarely do engineers say, I feel called to be an engineer or I feel called to be a you know, cleaner. I, I, it, just, it seems only in certain spheres that we use this word calling. The truth is, we're all called by God. We're all called by God. Our primary call, biblically, is to follow Jesus. Jesus said, follow me. We're all called. Roman, uh, Paul writes to the Roman church and he says uh, to, to, um, to everyone in Rome um, who are loved by God and are called to be saints. Timothy says we're called to live a holy life. You're called to do well. Uh, we're called. First Peter, he says, you know, you're called to, to do good, not evil. You know, I'm not called to full-time ministry. I'm called to follow Jesus. Now, part of that is to be, you know, a paid leader here in this community. That's true. But this isn't the sum total of my life. You know, I'm a husband. I'm called to be a follower of Jesus as a husband. I'm called to be a follower of Jesus as a father. I'm called to be a follower of Jesus as a neighbor. In fact, it involves all of my life. And that calling is on each of us. Work is part of that calling. You're called to follow Jesus Christ as a worker. And this is where it gets crucial because in society we tend to rank jobs. You know, there's these jobs up here and then there's here and here. That's not the case uh, in the kingdom. Uh, That's not a kingdom attitude because God looks at all, whatever you do, looks at you and looks you in the eye and says, I've called you to be my follower in this situation. There's no hierarchy of work in the kingdom of God. I read about this man who was um, in full-time ministry and he was uh, on a plane trip and he had a lot of work to do. So um, he uh, was really happy when he got on the plane because there was no one sitting beside him. And so he sets up his computer and he starts work. But just at the last minute, just before the doors of the plane close, uh, a mum and three kids come in. And the mum and the young kids sit behind him and the two older kids sit beside him. And uh, they, as the plane starts on the trip, they start squabbling and arguing and, you know, he can't concentrate his work. The young kid behind him is pushing his feet into his back and he's, you know, getting pretty annoyed. And uh, the boy would ask the sister, you know, where are we now? And she'd say, shut up, and they'd have a big row. He started to get really resentful because he had this work to do. And uh, he heard this voice say to him quite clearly in his mind, just love them. 
And he said, but these kids are brats and I've got all this work to do. And, he, and the inner voice just said, love them as if they're your children. So he put his computer away and he, he, he showed them on the screen, you know, on the seat there um, where they were in the flight and talked to them about the flight and, and got them engaged. And, and he asked them where they were going and they said they were going to see their father who was in hospital. Uh, so it was okay. And so he spent the rest of the trip entertaining them and telling them about flight and navigation and stuff. And then just as the plane was coming into land, he said, how's your father doing in hospital? And they drew really quiet and the, the boy simply said, well, he died. And uh, the man didn't know what to say. He said, I'm, I'm so sorry. The boy said, yeah, he said, me too, he said, but I'm really worried about my little brother. He's taking it really hard. Suddenly the man realized what his true work was, what was really important in terms of work. See, a call is to follow Jesus, no matter what we happen to do. Myth number four also potentially um, can't think of the right word uh, it'll come to me is that Christian ministry is more important than secular work and I think as ministers we can perpetuate this myth as well I mean if you've been around church circles for a while you, you know that there's a hierarchy and at the top of the hierarchy is missionaries all right missionaries like Andrew who's here, you know, are just super saints, all right, they're just right up there, all right, at the very top, there's, there's missionaries, okay, and, and Paul, I don't know if Paul was here, but there's, there's missionaries, I mean, they're the closest to God. Um, if, if you can't be a missionary, then there's ministers, and uh, ministers are next sort of down the rank, they're also, you know, very holy, but not quite as holy as missionaries, um, and, um, and then, um, well, slightly, quite a bit further down, really, there's elders, well, not really, no, sort of. Down the, you know, and, and ministry leaders, and, and um, you know, um, you know, and ministers' prayers, you know, are very special. That's why people get ministers to pray for them because their prayers are more special and they're closer to God. Um, and their work is holy, and their work is more important than any other work. Okay, um, perpetuate. That's the word I was trying to find. Perpetuate. I think ministers can perpetuate this myth because it makes us feel good. Um, the truth is that ministry can happen in any context. The word ministry, the literal meaning of the word ministry uh, is service. All right? Dikona. We got that word up? Greek? I don't normally pull up Greek. Uh, but, but that is the literal meaning of ministry. Ministry simply means service. So a minister, all right, ministry, minister, a minister simply means servant. Right? That is the literal meaning of the word. So if you say you're a ministry, you're in service. If you say you're a minister, you're a servant. That is the meaning of the word. And Paul describes himself as this. I'm a servant of God. No title, no reverence or anything. Literally, servant. That is the meaning of it. And service can happen anywhere. Service is not confined to the walls of a building. Service or ministry is not confined to a Christian organization. See, I can preach. You say, well, that's ministry. must be ministry. 
preaching, ministry. But I can preach to impress you. I can preach with the wrong motives. Might not be ministry then. I could build a fence. You say, that's not ministry. It's building a fence. But I can build a fence to the glory of God. That could be ministry. Ministry is characterized by love. You know, Jesus says he came into the world to serve. He came into the world to do ministry, as it were, to do service. He says he so loved the world that he came in to this world. Ministry ministry means being involved in the world. We're not to separate ourselves out of some elite sort of group, separate sort of group. Jesus worked, played, lived in the world, got involved in the world. You know, as ministry looks forward to a day when the kingdom of God is extended over the whole earth, when creation is renewed. The future of the church will not be determined by what a few people in paid positions do on behalf of the rest of the church. The future of the church will depend on how the whole church is engaged in ministry every day of the week. Let me say that again. The future of the church will not be determined by what a few people in paid positions do on behalf of the rest of the church. The future of the church will depend on how the whole church is engaged in ministry every day of the week. Myth number five, last myth. Myth number five, says that some things are secular and some are spiritual. Some of the early church fathers, Augustine and others, held this view. The secular and the spiritual or holy. And we'll say, you know, some places are holy, are, are sacred. Some places are not. Uh, the bottom line or the underlying sort of view of this is the material things are not good and not to be enjoyed. Augustine said the most important thing was contemplating truth and dwelling on truth. If you look at the dictionary, what what does it mean secular? Secular means not concerned with religion outside the control of the church relating to worldly, not sacred things. The truth is, and this is still a persistent myth today, still around, it is us who make things secular, not God. It is us who make things secular, not God. See, God looked at creation, He looked at the world, looked at the material things of this world, and He said they're good. Now, God has made a huge variety of foods for us to eat. Why? For for no apparent reason other than for us to enjoy. God has created a vast array of colors. He could have made the, the world in black and white. He made it in technicolor. Why? For us to enjoy. God made sex pleasurable. Why? could have devised some sort of very boring way to procreate, just sort of push a button on the back of your back, and, you know, it would work. Um, Well, wouldn't work, you know what I mean. Um, But God instead has designed sex to be pleasurable. God has given us creative gifts to build, to discover, to create art and music. Why? To enjoy. God came to the earth in physical form, in physical form. God embraced this world. He worked for 30 years as a carpenter. 
As Christians, we can sometimes have this view that the material world is bad. The world's going to get worse and worse, and one day it'll all be destroyed. Now, we're not to worship the material world, and, and money, you know, um, or the love of money can be the root of evil. We know that. But we're not to fall into the trap of thinking that the material world is bad. That's not biblical. Because when we do that, then we say that work is of no interest to God. When we get a biblical perspective on how God sees the physical world, then we get hold of the idea that God is interested in what we do at work. God is interested in all of His creation. See, something is only secular when we take God out of it. But as we invite God into our physical world, then everything in this world, in a sense, becomes holy. And in a sense, as we invite God in, we reunite God to his rightful place in the world as creator and ruler of the world. We're to go out into the secular world, as it were, and whatever we touch, whatever we do, we bring God into it. And so the secular is no longer there. The great divide has gone. And the world is once again in its right place with its creator. Five myths. Five myths that are like some of those myths I talked about at the beginning, uh, are stubbornly held. My spiritual life and my work have a little connection. What happens on Sunday is more important than what happens on Monday. Some special people are called by God. Christian ministry is more important than secular work. Some things are secular, some are spiritual. They are myths. And we need to get them out, as it were, of our system and instead put the truth into our hearts and minds. That work is spiritual. We're designed to work by a God who works. What happens on Monday, tomorrow, is more important than what happens today. We're all called by God. There's no special people who are called. We're all called by God, primarily to follow Him, wherever we are. Ministry can happen in any context. Ministry is simply service and can happen in any context. And lastly, it's us who make things secular, not God. It's us who remove God from something and it becomes secular. We need these truths to sink into our hearts and as we do, they'll change our attitude of how we live the other six days of our life. Let's uh, stand for prayer and as the team come to the front. God, we acknowledge that sometimes subtly, subconsciously, we've bought into some things that are not true. God, forgive us for that. May, Lord, your truth penetrate our lives. I must invite you now as we stand just to, to think of your place of work, whether it be uh, whatever they might be, in the home, um, in different um, places of paid employment, whether it be voluntary work, whatever, just, just bring that to mind. And just, um, just stand, just uh, open your hands. Lift your hands and just open them to God. Just, in a sense, offer your workplace to God.
Holy Spirit, as we stand before you with our workplace, as it were, in our hands, Lord, we, we bring it to you. God, we, we ask that your kingdom would come in our workplace. That your kingdom would come in our workplace. That love, Lord God, that joy, that justice, that peace, would rule and reign. God, we pray for spiritual conversations in our workplace. We pray, Lord God, that you would raise, uh, you would remove anything that's hindering just spiritual uh, inquiries from happening. Anything that's placing a, 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 like a heaviness or a blanket over our workplace, you'd lift that off. That would be a, a spiritually open place, Lord God. God, we lift our, our boss or our employer, or those over us, to you. And Lord, we pray for their well-being. We pray blessing, Lord God, on them. God, we pray that uh, we would be aware of your presence in our workplace. Lord, we pray for wisdom, as Richard said in those Moments when we get surprised by situations and we don't know what to do. Lord, we pray for godly wisdom. And God, we bring ourselves and Lord, we ask that we would be ambassadors for you. Lord, we'd see our primary calling is to follow you, Lord God. You'd show us what that means in our particular place of work. In Jesus' name, amen.